morning everyone today's scripture reading is taken from revelation chapters 4 and 5 revelation 4 verse 1 after this i looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice i had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and i will show you what must take place after this verse 6b in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back verse 9 to 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and power and honor for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw the mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from him of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders sat down and worshipped. Thank you, Karen. Uh, that wasn't the shortest scripture reading ever. Good morning, friends. It's truly a joy and a privilege to be here this morning. If you don't know me, I'm Scott Moore. Uh, Spring Garden Church has been my faith family for uh, the 40 years of my life here on earth, and I'm also blessed to be one of our church family's missionaries, serving at Youth Unlimited uh, here in Toronto. And let me say on behalf of all our YU missionaries, 
who call Spring Garden home. That's Clem, Monica, John, Kathy, and myself. Thank you. Uh, we are so grateful to be sent out into this city uh, by you and be partnered together for the sake of transformed young lives in our city. I do want to give a special shout out to John Wilkinson this morning, who in a few short weeks will be retiring. So John, thank you for 40, 50 years of faithful service to young people in Toronto, Canada, and beyond. I'm honored to be sharing in this third week in our series, Marking Thin Places. The heart of Jesus' message when he was here on earth was that the kingdom of God had drawn near. God's kingdom of freedom, healing, forgiveness, and grace had come in Jesus himself. And we know through Jesus' death and resurrection that that kingdom is among us here and now and always. Yet there are moments in our lives where we experience thin places, places where heaven and earth intermingle in a way that stirs our hearts and shapes our lives. Today, we will contemplate the thin place of worship. And thank you so much, Cheryl, for sharing your story. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven. Open our hearts to be a people of worship today, this morning, now, and always. Amen. It was March 4th, 2020, at a spiritual retreat on Stony Lake in the Kawarthas. For me, an unexpected, thin place of worship. This is snowshoes on Stony. I am running on the open expanse of the divine. Snowshoes keeping me afloat above inches of crusty snow and icy slush. I am alive. If I stayed hidden in the periphery, tucked in behind the tall wall of evergreens, I would only catch a small glimpse of the open whiteness of your wide mercies. Always trepidation in first steps, onto water frozen in time through wintry depths. Can the expanse hold me? Will it keep me up or take me in? Even as I stumble and fall on my knees, it's just me, silence, and a path of my choosing. I can go anywhere in the immensity of you. Blood flowing, legs kicking, knees rising, the pulse of life courses through my veins. Adventure is mine. On this terrain I am beholden. A messenger flies overhead. My feet firmly plant themselves in stunned awe. Majestic white head, short yellow beak, soon followed by splash of white tail. Wingspan seemingly stretching across the horizon, above the tree line. Flight path carving liminal space, where all encompassing meets immediate intimacy. I'm running towards this unexpected gift, perched on bare limbs of timber. My speed slows as I approach. My messenger sweeps its head, turning sharp and quick 
body still, assessing its domain, the great expanse. Snowshoes at rest, heart aglow, I have bounded your bounty with boundaries. You, though, have seen me, shown yourself without limit, hosting living beauty in quiet sanctity on that naked tree. When has your heart been opened wide to the bounty of God? When have your eyes looked heavenward in awe at the compassion of our Lord? After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. John writes this and sees this from his place of exile on the island of Patmos. A door, a door standing open, an entryway, a thin place between heaven and earth. Two worlds becoming one. This is the beginning of John's second vision in Revelation. What Eugene Peterson in his book, Reverse Thunder, calls the last word on worship. You know, the rational Western post-enlightenment adult mind in many ways has ruined Revelation, made it about predictions and events, dogma and doctrine, who's in and who's out. Today, I invite you to re-enter Revelation with the eyes of a child. Enter with imagination, awe, and wonder. For what John sees here today in Revelation is the heavenly reality of our daily, regular, ordinary lives lived out here on earth. Lived out every day whenever we give all of who we are to all of who God is. In other words, whenever we are worshiping in whatever form that may take. Worship brings living color to the grayness of the mundane. John here is experiencing a moment similar to Jesus at his baptism. Mark 1.10 says, Just as Jesus was coming out, out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Or like Stephen's in Acts 7, full of the Holy Spirit, looking up to heaven. Look, Stephen said, just before he was martyred, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Thin places of encounter of transformation. John catches a glimpse of the heavenly where God sits sparkling in mystery upon his throne, where four creatures representing the mightiest of the natural world unceasingly give praise to him on the throne, where 24 elders, perhaps representing the 12 tribes of Israel of the old covenant and the 12 apostles of the new covenant fall down before him on their knees where 100 million angels proclaim at the top of their lungs, worthy is the Lamb, where every creature ever made in all the world gives everything within them to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John's vision is filled with spontaneous, tireless, heartfelt song. It is filled with full-bodied adoration that never ends. It is filled with words like holy and glory and honor and worthy. They sing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. 
They sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Songs that never end. Lord, have mercy on me. My vision of God is much, much too small. These are words that don't come naturally to me. I don't know about for you. They're words that so often I want to reach for, grasp for myself, and wrap like a flag around my body. I want praise. I want honor. I want glory. You know, many of you are aware of my, my passion for cycling, and I've always maintained that cycling is a place that brings my heart and being into a place of worship and openness to God. Uh, for many years, not since COVID started, I've cycled with a club called the Morning Glory Cycling Club. We like to get up early. One of our routes takes us into the bridle path where we do some loops through the neighborhood. Uh, thankfully, it seems nobody wakes up very early in the bridle path except for Drake's security team. But the loops start with the inf infamous Crestwood Hill, which is the beginning of Lawrence Avenue. At the bottom of the hill, we split into four groups, and typically I would line up with the first group, about 10 of us going absolutely all out. We start up the hill, which is about 70 to 80 seconds of absolute misery. You get to the top, you're grasping for air, your legs are burning up, and that's just the start of the loop. Circle through the neighborhood at top speed, head back down the hill, repeat this five times. I remember coming to work one day after one of our bridal path rides and really realizing I was grumpy. I don't know about you, maybe you have some grumpy work days too, you're just not quite yourself and you're not sure why. Well, it didn't take me long to figure it out. I had been dropped on the third lap by the lead group. I'd been dropped by riders I thought I could stick with, riders I wanted to stick with. My thin place of worship had suddenly become a place of idolatry. I was wrapping the flag of glory, honor, and praise around my body instead of flying it for God. You see, we generally think of the gap between idolatry and worship as an impassable gulf, Grand Canyon-like in its width. When we think of idolatry, we tend to snub our noses at those silly Israelites worshiping a golden calf that they made for themselves. We all want something to worship. And our idolatry and our worship, rather than being on the opposite ends of a spectrum, can actually find themselves in close parallel, right alongside each other. Perhaps you're like me, using God-given gifts to look for significance and worth through performance or comparison with others. Or perhaps you crave intimacy with God so much that you actually worship the experience or feeling of God rather than God himself. We make God too small, and we begin searching elsewhere for meaning and belonging. But it is only in worship that we find our rightful place in the world. Worship, if I may put it so, puts us in our place. But it puts us in the best place, the place we were made for. Sometimes we're drawn into worship through those with whom we share life and community. I'm just about, <laughs> I'm just about 13 months removed from fracturing my hip. 
sorry. Uh, 13 months removed from fracturing my hip from a cycling crash. And Jesus, being the redemptive God that he is, saw a great opportunity to continue to address the tension of my cycling when it came to worship and idolatry. I told Kit I was going to tell this story. I didn't think I'd be so emotional. In those early days of returning home, Kate and I had some pretty intense conversations about the purpose of my recovery. I'm sure the Tylenol 3s added an extra dynamic, but Kate was deeply committed to seeing my return to full health and mobility. Recovering in order to be a competitive racing athlete, less so. I remember one morning as I lay on the ground doing my mobility exercises, Kate said, I want to feel chosen. I want the girls to feel chosen. In the most humbling and painful way, that moment became a thin place of worship. Jesus, in his grace, takes our self focused idolatry, and turns our gaze outwards. Kate's words sunk deep into my spirit and will never leave again. Worship puts us in our place, the right place. The past year has been filled with deeper bonds with my girls as I have more energy, more time, and more presence to offer them. And those bonds lead me to worship of Jesus. Who in your life cast your eyes from their inward gaze to a heavenward one? Who is on the throne? Well, God is. He is surrounded by all that he created. Living creatures, angels, and elders bow down before him, prostrate in unceasing praise. The monarchy may seem outdated to us Canadians, but John's picture of God's kingship reminds us of where we belong. Just before John sees this second vision, he writes of the invitation of Jesus to the church in Laodicea. In chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And then there John is, before a door, standing open to heaven. Friends, let us open the door to discover the magnificent majesty of God enthroned forever and ever. And there we can join the 24 elders in laying down our crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But you know, I got to be honest, there's still something that holds me back. It's an ongoing wrestle with God, which so often takes me to Revelation 5. It's about God's power. 
Don't you just sometimes long for your own parting of the Red Sea experience or for your own miraculous manna to nourish you when you're stuck in a desert place? John sees a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seas. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. The truth is our frail, egocentric, control-starved humanity longs for a roaring lion. The elder who says to John, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed, is using rich imagery from the prophets of old of the coming Messiah, the Messiah who would rescue Israel from its captivity. We long for a lion and God gives us a slain lamb. As Greg Boyd writes, the cross reveals that God's power is altogether different from the coercive power humans have lusted after throughout history and that they have habitually projected onto God or the gods. He goes on to quote the German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, faith in the crucified God is a contradiction of everything humans have ever conceived, desired, and sought to be assured of by the term God. And so whenever God and I have this wrestle about his power, he brings me back to the slain lamb, this weak creature with no visible mark of victorious triumph, but rather only the marks of its own slaughter. God, fully God in power and splendor, in humiliation and powerlessness, on the cross. Will you worship the slain lamb? Will you, will you worship the one who is self-giving, self-sacrificial, the one who turns our world upside down and shows us the way to life and fullness? That a life of worship is a life of self-emptying that leads to awe and wonder. A way of life where we begin to see the work of the slain lamb and the smallest glimpses of hope and the rays of light that peek through the darkness. Eugene Peterson writes, People who do not worship live in a vast shopping mall where they go from shop to shop, expending enormous amounts of energy and taking endless trips to meet first this need and then that appetite, this whim, and that fancy. I don't want to live in a shopping mall. I want to join the chorus of a hundred million angels saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. In our work at Youth Unlimited, 
It's the image of the slain lamb, the crucified Christ that sustains us. For much of our work is done in the midst of suffering, injustice, and pain. We see it in walking alongside a young person grappling with suicidal ideation. Or in the young person on the street struggling with addiction due to a trauma-infused childhood. Or the young adult whose criminal record and physical appearance causes her to be turned away from employment opportunities. It's truly only in worshiping the upside-down nature of God and His power that we can see clearly. That we can see the small victories for what they are. The victories of that young person checking into CAMH. Or that young person making the decision to leave destructive friendships. Or that young person finding the courage to continue to pursue noble work. These small victories become an open door of heaven where we look upon the slain lamb and declare that he is worthy of our praise. And so for us at Youth Unlimited, marking these thin places through worship becomes a life-sustaining practice. I wrote Snowshoes on Stony 10 days before COVID crashed into our reality here in Toronto. In the time since, I've lost the ability to run. I'm unable to go to life-giving places offering solitude and rejuvenation. I, like you, have not been able to connect with cherished friends from across the province and spend quality time together. When I I read this poem, I am transported to that day when a lone bald eagle soared above me in the white expanse of a frozen, wintry lake. My heart opens again to the boundless magnitude of a God who sees me. I turn once again to God's yes for us in the slain lamb, and I say yes back to him. Let us be a people who mark those places of worship. Perhaps you, like me, write or take a photo or draw a sketch or fill in a note on your phone of those moments where you see God, where we are reminded that God, not us, is at the center upon his throne. And we are in our place, the right place, prostrate before him, giving our yes to him. And together, may we say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power. Amen.